Why, hello everyone. Welcome to the second edition of the program we like to call Illumination, emanating from uh, the library of Sunset Lodge number 369 in sunny Southern California, except for this week, not too many sunny days. We've actually had some rain down here. Don't tell anybody. All right. The uh, entire purpose of our program is to uh, shine the light on our lodge and most importantly, the members of our lodge, what they have, their life story, why they're Masons and so forth, and their, and their understanding of Masonry. Also, people that are teachers within our fraternity and sharing some of the lessons that we learn um, on a day-to-day -day basis. What is most important is you. And we want to find out what you want to find out more about. Please do uh, get in touch with us via the email address that will be somewhere down here at some time. And once again, we'll love to hear from you and see what you like to have. Today's guest is uh, such an honor to have him here. He is uh, our coach to help people learn their material. Plus, he's an all-around joker. He's, he's got a bag full of jokes and just a good friend to have around is Constantine. How are you doing today, sir? Fine, Les. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's good to, good to have you here, and, and thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, let's get down to the basics. Uh, I, I like to say to the Greeks, we are grateful that you are here. You were from Greece. Did you uh, grow up there? Were you born and grew up in Greece? Oh, yes. I, I um, In the southern part of Greece, in the central Peloponnese, uh, grew up in a sort of isolated mountainous village without running water or electricity. Oh, wow. Yes. And um, fortunately, I had an uncle in California who had become an aerospace engineer. Right and even worked on the Apollo 11 program in the 60s. So in the mid-70s, at the age of 16, I was, uh, like you, uh, was like enough to be brought to Santa Monica, California, straight from, uh, you know, the boonies into the center yeah. of civilization, so to speak. Was that a culture shock for you? Well, uh, you know, the homes in Santa Monica, especially North Santa Monica, where I lived, where right. my uncle's house was, was so dispersed, and there were so many trees. Ah. You had the feeling you were in, in uh, you know, kind of a village, you know. Right. The houses were hidden behind the trees, as were in the village. The only difference is, instead of uh, having to ride a mule, uh, my uncle pointed to a 68 convertible Cadillac, and he said, learn to drive it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... I, I went straight into a Cadillac from the mule and never learned how to bike. <laughs> that, that's right. There you go. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I never do that. that that's a, an interesting thing. Now, tell me, what got you interested in masonry? How did you become a part of this? Well, some of my friends were masons, some of my closest friends. One of them is still with us here in the lodge, uh, Thomas. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was sort of my mentor when we, we were, he was a very good older friend. He still is a very good older friend. Yes. Why did I say was? I don't know. Uh, and um, in Greece, I had heard a few things, but in a negative light. Right. Masonry over there was demonized, especially by religion. Religion is strong. And I, I, I think they are under the false impression that it's another, just another religion. And, uh, you know, that's not the case. Right. And, and all of that had intrigued me. Uh, 
And since I had a few friends here at the lodge, I decided, as we say, to knock upon the door. That's awesome. I'm glad yeah. you did. Yeah. And you became a past master. Uh, so you're, you're a past master now, became a master of the lodge. What was that about for you, becoming a master? It was quite an experience, learning uh, the material, the esoteric and the exoteric, as we use these ancient Greek words to describe them, which yes. means the inside and the outside of it. A and uh, it helped me a lot mem memorizing the rituals and the material that I had to memorize. Right. Uh, from uh, a literary point of view, it improved my writing skills and my speaking skills. And I, I met a great deal of people of, of all professions uh, of society. As you know, we have uh, members that are here tattoo artists and members who are um, nuclear scientists. Right. So people from all walks of life and from all different na uh, nations. That's right. And, and it has been quite an experience. That's one of the things I love about our lodge is we are truly inclusive and diverse in the, uh, the people here. We have everything from Greeks to Texans, as I like to say. Can you believe that? Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's wonderful seeing how, how it all comes together. And one of the most important things is whenever people learn their work, the first person they normally see is Constantine to sit down. Tell me what it's like to be able to teach people the, the work of masonry. Well, it's, it's a feeling of satisfaction. Right. In the very beginning, of course, the education is basic, is uh, memorizing material. I, I'm, uh, I'm very good in history. I'm, I'm, you know, I studied in Greece quite a lot of uh, classical history and uh, Hebrew history as well because it was part of the religion. And since masonry is associated with, with the Solomonic times so much, I, uh, you know, expanded my knowledge on what I already knew, and um, since I'm also a history buff, I have a habit to the new members in addition to start them out with a little bit of historical lecture of how masonry started and how it made um, associations, whether they were with other prior organizations, whether these associations were realistic or not. Right. Now, I, I've, uh, this is one of the things I, I know you're, you're just really good at. And there are some people here who might have heard of masonry. They might have even seen a few YouTube videos about it. Why don't I wanted you to give your history of masonry the way you teach new candidates. What, do you, what would you say to them? Well, it, it starts back in uh, Scotland and England in the late 1400s, where Masonic unions were simply uh, associations of builders. The word Mason or Masonic meaning somebody who is an expert uh, technician of the stone or of the building. And, and um, initially, it, it, there were just like uh, we, today we have labor unions. Right except that they were probably the only labor union at the time. And besides the clergy and the, um, and the royalists, I mean the government people, they were probably the only other sector of people that were educated. And um, in addition to, uh, Masons had to learn 
how to build in order to become supervisors, they had to study the, the nuclear geometry. Did I nuclear or? Right. I meant to say Euclidean. Yeah, that's it. That's, okay. all right. that's all right. That's all right. There you go. And uh, in addition to that, th these books had trickled over either, th either through Europe or through North Africa, where the Greeks and the Romans had established themselves. And other books kept coming, like the Hermetic philosophy and so forth. Right. And at the time, Europe was going through a process of change of thought, the age of reason, the age of enlightenment. Um, and uh, these sort of ideas in those days could um, get somebody, you know, burned at the stake by the church right. or, or, you know, get hanged by, uh, by the government people. Sure. So, but the Masonic Union, the Masonic people being sort of a protected class, they being sort of um, the aerospace engineers of the time, they were sort of protected. Right. And in initially some intellectual people sought to become Masons in order to find refuge, I believe. And, and the more of them they joined, the more other people joined. You come to the late 16 or early 1700s, you have uh, Newton who was a Mason. Um, Peter the Great who traveled from Europe to England on a 15-month long trip, um, also became a Mason. Through his meetings with Newton primarily and some meetings with other Masons in mainland Europe. And when he came back, he established Masonry in Russia. You know, so you read uh, Dostoevsky, for example, excuse me, you read Leo Tolstoy, for example. In Warrior Peace, there is a whole chapter about one of the main heroes, Andre, after the Napoleonic Wars, Wars goes in search of himself, and one of the things he does is, is join masonry. Right. You know, so um, come the 20th century, come about, and anyone who was anyone uh, was a mason. You know, whether it was Winston Churchill, uh, Mr. Truman, President Truman, President Roosevelt be before him, um, Douglas MacArthur. Clark Gable, many other actors in uh, Hollywood. Now, the, 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 the historical lecture I give according to the questions that I am asked, it, it jumps from century to century and sometimes over two centuries, right. and it goes to different parts of the world. But uh, the moral of the story is that the it was a British and Scottish in uh, conception, and as the empire grew, so did masonry. And one, and it spread throughout the world because you know by the it came to a certain point where the sun never sat on the British Empire. Right. They used to own more than twenty percent of the planet, and um, masons had to take an oath to along with protecting the secrets of masonry, pro also protecting the empire. And that seems very ironic mm -hmm. because the American masons used their Masonic lodges to hatch the revolution of independence. Right. Now in, in American history, you hear a lot of conspiracy theories, you know, the Dan Brown books, the National Treasure movies, right. and a bunch of other things, but um, 
none of which is true, but the only great con Masonic conspiracy has indeed, in, indeed been the conception of the American Revolution. It, it was hatched at um, Washington's Lodge, which was conveniently located behind the Green Tavern uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. A and then you get more than half of the signers in the, uh, on the Declaration of Independence being Masons. And uh, furthermore, to add another note about the Masonic influence on the American history, our founding fathers are also known as the Feuding Brothers. During the War of Independence, Washington was had to rely mostly on Masonic supporters, whether they were politicians or military people, whom he found to be more trustworthy and more reliable. A and it may one of the reasons it may have been because they shared the Masonic lodges. That's awesome. Well, uh, I want to remind you: you are watching or listening to the program we call Illumination. Uh, from Sunset Lodge number 369 in Santa Monica, California. My name is Les, and this is Constantine. I've learned so much from you, Constantine. Uh, thank you, Les. I, I've learned uh, quite a few things from you. All right, thank uh. you. And, and uh, can, you've been around the lodge for a long time. Can you tell me about what you see, um, how the lodge has changed over the years, how it's grown over the years? Well, from what I have observed and from what I have been informed, membership had various fluctuations. Um, recently, the last uh, 10, 12 years, we have uh, seen a resurgence in Masonry, either, bec either because of the media and the movies, or having coincided with people seeking uh, some sort of meaning in life and with other people seeking to follow up on the s footsteps of their father or even grandfather who uh, were Masons and may have wondered, you know, what, was ma what Masonry was all about. Now, to, um, to this day and age, I mean, we, we have a situation where we, what we call um, speculative Masons. We don't build buildings anymore. We build the characters of people. Um, and um, at the end of the day, we are a philanthropic organization. Uh, most of the lodges that we that operate in the area are wealthy lodges, and um, they take care of their own expenses and pay ta their taxes on their buildings. And uh, whatever remains, we distribute it to philanthropic causes. You know, kids with special needs, uh, cancer research, um, you name it. Right. And, and to quote the famous phrase of our um, first president, Washington, is the grand purpose of masonry is to bring happiness to the human race. That's awesome. And I, I, I've learned so much myself. I. One of the things I've learned are the three principles, um, principles of masonry, brotherly love, relief, and truth. Indeed. And it's so important from my point of view, and I, I know I'm interviewing you, but I, it's just so important that, that we build that, that bond within the lodge and take that bond um, outward into the world and to, to learn the principles that we learn wherever it comes from. Um, what do you see? Uh, 
is the future of masonry around you in the world? What do you see? As far as membership goes, it looks bright. We have a lot of um, new, younger people, you know, who are willing to follow on our footsteps and uh, who have um, even more energy yes. and are even more excited about promoting masonry. And um, th th that's a good thing to see. You know, I, I, it amazed me. Of course, I, I, because of work, I was, I was away for about a year. But I came back, and the, the lodge had uh, really done had a huge improvement due to the upsurge of the of the newer members coming in. By the way, our technical producer, the man in the hot seat, is is my guest from last week, Michael Womack. And Michael, you can pop in anytime you want to if you have any thoughts or ideas. Go along the way. Um, not a whole lot of thoughts and ideas, but maybe a question for Constantine. Um, Maybe some of the best memories you have about the lodge so far. What were some of the things that really touched you that um, by being a mason or our lodge in particular? Well, the, the, the support that I received from the brothers, uh, you know, me meeting various people from uh, various sections and professions of the society, I, I, I always felt loved and welcome here by um, the members that were the officers at that particular time. And it's something that I try to transfer upon to the new members that come in and to the who, for most of whom I'm, I'm perhaps one of the initial points of contact. Right. Uh, how long ago was that? How long have you been a Mason? Oh, close to 20 years now. Wow. At this lodge? Right? Uh, at this lodge. And only this so you've lodge. seen a lot go on here. Indeed, yes. Right. yes, yes. Now, you, you've worked with a lot of different people. Um, do you have an interesting little story about somebody you worked with that you thought was kind of, you, you've been real good at funny funny stories. Do, do you have a story, an interesting story about somebody you worked with? I, I, I can't really say that I, I can pick out a very interesting or a, a very funny situation with uh, any single particular individual. I, I don't know, the, the f I think my funniest practical joke on the District of Masonry okay. was uh, I was master in uh, uh, 2008, right. and our usual meeting is on a Tuesday, which happened to be the 1st of April. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And I, I called about, and I started to play this particular joke on everybody where, you know, we could go, we, we can do a television serial. I had met a producer of the Naked Archaeologist. He was going to go to the Holy Land and search for the Lost Master's World. And the district was excited until I told them, you know, it was going to cost each lodge $100,000, but it was peanuts. And uh, I played that on all lodges, masters of the lodges, over the phone. Right. And one of them liked the story so much. One of our former uh, masters, uh, Lionel Raman. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who uh, was master of Pacific Palisades at the time, Riviera Lodge, namely, uh, came to this lodge and and helped me play the joke at the end of the meeting on everybody. 
Uh, and you know, it it went so well that some <laughs> of the old timers thought of me as coming in to spend the savings that one of them got up and called me a carpetbagger. Oh, no. no. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I, I you know, uh, it, it turned out that it was all a practical joke and it, 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 it made it all the way to the Grand Lodge. You oh know. no! Yeah. yeah, indeed, indeed. Oh, that's funny. That's funny, and it's 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 good to hear funny stuff yeah, like that. Bit. Let me just say again, this is the program Illumination. My name is Les Jones. We are emanating from Sunset Lodge Number Three Sixty Nine in Santa Monica, California, and we are open to ideas of what you want to hear more about. And if you want to, you can contact us via the email address that will be on the screen. And we would really love to hear from you. I want to thank you for that. If you have a piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about becoming a Mason, what would you say? Well, come and join us. Well, there you become go. Become part of the grandest and oldest and most honored uh, bro brotherhood in the world. Well, you know that, and I, I, I don't want to. I, I want to talk about the elephant in the room. What do you talk about somebody who spent a lot of time watching Dan Brown movies or saw videos on YouTube about different things? What would you say about to someone who's who's seen that? Well, it it's fine as far as intrigue or mystery uh, or mainly entertainment is concerned. Sure. Uh, but I, most people are greatly surprised when I, told, I tell them that none of it is true. Right. And that's the first thing that surprises. What surprises them even more is to find out that there was an even greater scale of conspiracy in this country that uh, simply outdoes the Don Brown books and the National Treasure movies. And that was the conception of of the um, revolution of independence. Right. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, if you had a final thought to say to people uh, about masonry, what would you like to say? Well, Les, you should have prepared me a little bit, bit oh, better, no, man. No, you should, oh, give, <laughs> should, should have given me some of your uh, uh, questions ahead of time. I, I, I could have done a little research and come up with something uh, good. I... I you know, if, if, if you are a man and uh, you are not in your very early years or in, in your latest years, come and join us. It's, it's a tremendous experience. You will meet a lot of great people. You will learn many important things and you will have a good time with us. Real good. Now and you will yourself masonry and, and, and humankind along with us. All right. Just to jump in really quick again, one thing that we forgot to mention about Constantine is his proficiency in the game of chess. And you should oh, be yes. letting everybody know that oh Constantine my. is indeed a master of the game of chess. Tell us about this. Well, thank you uh, for bringing <laughs> it up, Mike. I, I, you know, I, I don't consider it so uh, to be very relevant in masonry, but uh, nev you. nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I happen to fall into the game in my young, very young years. The, there was no television in uh, the cafe in Greece. The, there was a, uh, a chess board and some of the older kids were playing and showed me. I, I picked it up here. Uh, during the 80s, I um, played in international tournaments. 
I, I got to the expert level, but that being the professional level, of course. A and I had the opportunity to play with famous chess people. And uh, at one particular occasion, and I, I had a couple of my games published in the Los Angeles Times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in one situation, I had an opportunity in a, not in an official game, in an unofficial game to, which was a simultaneous exhibition, to win again a game against a former world champion. Wow. By, by using a secret device that Fisher had talked about that was an off hand or rather off the main line variation that very few people were aware. Right. And, and uh, it, it, it just I, it happened to, by a matter of luck, it happened to go right into that variation. Well, you know, I, I would have written up questions for you, but number one, I would not have thought about that. I know I see you play chess sometimes, but I didn't realize the history behind that. Uh, it, it's not history, really. It's, it's a hobby. And I, I've on and off, I picked it up. I had my ups and downs. It's uh, a little bit of a sport, a little bit of a hobby, and it's a little bit of an entertainment. It, it's, it's a great exercise of mind. Yeah. What uh, chess teaches you is, is uh, very important in, in everyday life, in, in the business world. And uh, if anybody knows the game of chess a little bit, is uh, I recommend a book written by Grandmaster Gary Kasparov, uh, how the ideas of chess applied in everyday life and in business. I forget the specific name of it. Right. All right. Great. Now. I couldn't uh, have you leave without telling us a real good Constantine joke. You've got another joke. I already told you no, one. No, tell us, tell us one to end us off here. Tell us, tell us a Texas joke. You, you always seem to come no, up that, with that, the Texas. that Texas joke is too shocking. You know. <laughs> uh, you're, you're good at this. So. How much time do we have? We have three minutes for you. Oh, I think I can cover it. Is is the joke that I I tell to my novices okay it, it's a, a gentleman in his 70s or around 70 walks into a lodge and he meets the master and secretary and asks tells them that uh, he is a first degree mason and he's here to take his second degree and the secretary says i i've been here with the lodge 30 years i don't remember you and he says well it was a little bit before your time and the master is also an, el is an elderly gentleman. He says, I've been with the lodge 40 years. I don't remember you. Oh, he says, well, it was a little bit before your time, too. <laughs> he says, what's your name? And, uh, as, uh, you know, he gives them their name. And he says that when he was 18 years old, he came and took his first degree. And now he wanted to take his second. So they take his name down. They, they pulled uh, the oldest boxes down out of the storage room. And indeed, they find out that he was what we call a first degree or an entered apprentice mason. Yeah. So they invite him back to take his second degree. The guy comes in and they ask him a couple of questions. The master says, well, he says, you must have finally realized the benefits of masonry to reconsider after such a long time. Oh, no, no, he says, I always knew everything about masonry. My father was a mason, my grandfather, I come from a line of masons, and that's why when I became 18 years old, I came into the lodge and I took my first degree. 
And then he says, the master says, how come? He says, it, it, uh, you are 70 now. How come it took you so long to come back? Because he says, I wanted to be able to follow and instill upon myself the, the, the dogmas and the tenets that were inculcated upon me during my first degree, during my initiation. And the master asks exactly to what do you allude? And, and the new candidate, as well, the older, you know, the second degree candidate answers, to learn to subdue my passions. <laughs> <laughs> it took him a while for that. Indeed. All right, Constantine, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you for inviting me, Les. And, and, and I, I, I want to, if anybody ever watched this uh, video clip here, I want to say that it was totally uh, without any preparation. That's right. And was uh, sort of to speak uh, instantaneous. And that's exactly how I wanted to do it All with right. you, Constantine. You're the best. We have uh, we have some. Um, but but keep, keep in mind yes. what, what uh, Mark Twain said. What's that? That that it took him two weeks at least to prepare for an impromptu speech. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Constantine, thank you so much for your time. And I want to thank all of you for joining us in Illumination uh, from Sunset Lodge, number 369. A big thank you to Brother Michael for running the board and sitting in the hot seat for us today. Until next week, have a good one.